Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled, filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one hongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and um, we're going to begin a new sermon series um, on prayer. And uh, one thing that, uh, when, when I started my sabbatical, um, uh, Dr. Peacock, who's our spiritual director, through that sabbatical said, you know, one of my goals is making you a contemplative pastor, right? And all I could see was kind of quiet and monastic, right? Um, so, you know, like last week, that's sort of a preachy sermon, but I think as we go through this sermon series, I want you to kind of just settle in because it is a little bit more contemplative, if you will. In the transition back in period of my sabbatical, I was working again with Dr. Peacock and seeking on, you know, what would God have me to teach about first? And it was advised that I share some of what I grew in. And one area that was initially and continues to be difficult for me is prayer. Time with the Lord, that dreaded for me, quiet time, right? The path of prayer for me was and is still riddled with all kinds of mess. So in this sermon series, I'm asking you to join me in the Bible, through the Bible, on a broken prayer journey. We are talking about connecting and spending time living in the presence of a perfect God. How else could we in our prayers be and feel but broken? And by broken, I mean connecting and missing, right? I'm I'm talking about straight and crooked, filled and feeling empty sometimes, right? In our passage today, Isaiah the prophet went to worship and pray. And this brother was, as some of you like to say, shook. Because like Isaiah, first, we find that the Lord is next level. Secondly, we find ourselves stuck in shame and fear. And finally, we we find out that God makes, as our song says, a way. 
The Lord is next level. We get stuck, but God makes a way. The year is about 739 B.C. And the king of Israel, Uzziah, a good king, a, a great king, someone they relied on a lot, has just died. And a threatening kingdom, Assyria, is on its way. And like a good priest and prophet, Isaiah finally breaks down and goes into the temple and pray like, like you and me, right? We, we often don't start praying until there's a threat or there's fear. Or for some of us guys, your wife about to walk out, right? Or, or you about to walk out or you get caught or caught up in some mess or mistake. Somebody broke your heart or did you wrong. Those bills are more than you can bear. Financially, it is coming for you. Or your children or grandkids are making you sad and stressing you out and making you mad. Or some health issues got you or, or you got some test of some sort coming up. It is then that like Isaiah did that day, we dare to seek the Lord. Counsel with the Lord, draw close to him or ask him to please look. And the initial feeling we often get as we are impacted by our issues and mistakes is what? We find a God that is on that next level, which means the Lord can be difficult to connect with. Look at verse 1 through 4 again. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up in the train of his temple filled, sorry, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he, he, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled, full, sorry, of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called in the house was filled with smoke. The Bible is showing us that your God, the Lord, the God of the Bible, is other, right? That he is next level in essence, in being. That he is not created, right? He didn't he didn't come from somewhere. He, already, he always was, that he is eternally and infinitely more excellent than anything or anyone. But more than being a deity, the Lord is holy, 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 because he is right and perfect and good and true and honest and acts with perfect integrity and morality when and whatever God does or decides or thinks is right and good and true. Why? Because he has decided it and does it, and he has no equal or superior or judge. You see how this throne is described as exalted, high and lifted up, and his robe fills the temple? You know what that means? That there is no one else right? There is no space. There's no, you know, counsel in his court. There is no space for anything or anyone. In fact, the creatures who are there with them can't even stand. They have to fly. There is not anything or anyone else next to him in his court. No one is on his level to give him counsel. He is above needing advice or help or entertainment. And while that might be a character flaw, if you told me that's what you were like, it is a character attribute of holiness of the Lord's. No one is on his level. 
And I know this is a different kind of message that, that you may hear, right? Uh, um, today, we want to talk about imminent God is, and we'll talk about that and how down-to-earth God is, right? But you need to recognize how next level, how other, how the Bible says holy, holy, holy God is so you can understand what it means to have a prayer life and be intimate with a holy God. The Bible says that the cherubim, right? Winged creatures. Now, some series, this is, right, some kind of really weird fantasy stuff going here for you people who love fantasy and sci-fi and stuff. Some theologians, okay, think that these creatures are not like the stereotypical fat-flying babies, but flying snake kind of things, right? Like, it's so ambiguous what these things are. When you look at the descriptions in Hebrew, I mean, there is this small pathway that that leads definition-wise to like flying, not humanoid, but some other kind of thing. And anyway, they make the temple shake. So much with their praise, the Bible says that, their founda- that the foundations of the temple rumble and like a building coming down, it fills the place with smoke. But here's the curious thing. The creatures, voices move and shake the temple at their singing and ministry. Right? Now watch this. But what is God the king doing? What's your Bible say? He is sitting. I had to look twice at this. He's seated. He's not moving. You know, as many times I read this passage, I always thought it was God who made the temple shake. Because he was moving or walking around. The Bible says he was sitting. That's profound, right? Because he is just chilling, if you will, in his holy, holy, holiness. Now, this is going to be bizarre for us. Remember I told you God's next level? So you just have to go there with me for a minute. It puts a whole new spin on the term now, this is my day and time. Sorry, y'all. Maxing and relaxing, right? Because what you see going on with the Lord is a posture and power of divine contentment and divine confidence that things are happening just the way he wants. And that in that God is a word we don't use a lot, sovereign. I bring this up because God's silence and stillness and resoluteness is terrifyingly holy. And get this, his powerful seated divinity is earth, heart, and mind shaking. Nothing and no one can help but be shook by his Steady and sure plan and purpose and mere presence and move with heightened energy and urgency just by his holiness and who he is just being and being there. 
You ever consider the fact that what you and I are coming in contact with in our broken prayer and lives before a holy God is not what it feels like or what we can describe? That's why Isaiah had to have a vision. Because sometimes we think it's God not answering or boredom. Or, but, but the feel, or, or, you know, he's just, he, he ain't there, right? But the feel and reality of his, maybe you're feeling the reality of his sovereign bossness, as some of you like to say, of that kind of holiness. You ever, uh, um, Matt, you out there? That's you, Matt. Matt here today? Um, New England, Matt. He ain't here today. His wife here. You go back and tell him that I talked about his favorite player, Tom Brady, right? Even though he's with a different team. You ever seen Tom Brady versus other quarterbacks when the, when, 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 when the team is down? You know, you see other players, when they start to defeat, when, when it's hard, they over there on the sideline, ah! yelling and screaming, fussing with the coach, throwing stuff, looking at the pad, you know, what's the next play, acting up. But you ever see Tom Brady on the sidelines? So he goes into that stare, that silent, intense zone look, relaxed and catatonic almost. And you know, it's two minutes left, and they down by six. And I'm like, Kelly, it looked like Tom Brady going to lose. And Kelly's like, look at, his, look at him. He's just sitting there. They left him two minutes. They going to win. Kelly and I used to say he was possessed. Now I learned that his wife Giselle is a practicing witch and builds a pregame altar for him. And that makes the illustration fall apart. But you get my point. For you Marvel fans, because I'm a Marvel fan, you remember in um, Endgame when the Avengers come out for those who saw it and they all pumped, you know, Iron Man flying and they come out and what's Thanos doing? Chilling. Looking down. You know, right? He did a little voice. Right? And you're like, dang, he gonna kick their behind. Like, the dude who comes in and chilling, sometimes silence and stillness is a declaration of power and promise and control. When we live like the opposite, right? We live as unsure, always losing confidence and power. We're out of control. We're rat racing it, right? Need to be sure now, right? We need a preview. But God sitting in his holiness may make the world move and shake in us too, but contact with his holiness in prayer may be exposure to not nervous, anxious energy, but God got this. God is in control. The Lord is there. He got a plan stillness. And in my spiritual direction, I learned how to pay attention to the re more so to the resultant actions of a sovereign God. To see what was shaking because of the movement a holy God, sovereign and sitting in power, actually is causing. Now, there are a few things, and we're going to get into it in our, you know, prayer journey. 
but uh, you know, I learned more about Lecto Divina and Visio Divina and my own creation, Audio Divina, right? Lecto, right? Listening and reading the Word of God. And you don't have to be a theologian, but let it shake out and call out like these seraphim and cherubim in our passage. Let them call out God's holiness to you and, of course, hear God's voice speak. Let the Word of God be a written vision for you. And then the idea of visio divina, where you and I just look and concentrate on the shaking, like Isaiah did, taking in the sights of God's creation and the glory he is causing around us. He has shaken out a whole creation, and, and the Bible says, poured his message in visual, sensory, holiness, and message all into the world. Go for a walk sometimes, y'all. Just watch through the eyes and lens of God sitting there in holiness. Behind it all, right? Make maybe a trip to the art gallery and ask God to shake out his wonder in it. You know, a performance or an art form of some sort. You remember Kelly went to the Lion King? When they came in with the circle of life and them animals were coming down the aisle, we in there crying. Thank you, Lord. Right? Because we know creation comes in. And you're waiting for your king to be revealed. We in there crying, thinking about the Lord. Remember that time we went and saw the um, Handel's Messiah at the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra and Opera thing, and everybody was acting all proper? Me and Kelly, thank you, Lord. <laughs> it was hard. Sometimes be still and just look and smell and even eat differently. Maybe that's another divina, gastro divina. <laughs> yes. When you cooked that red snapper last night, I had a little gastro divina. But let creation shake with God's power, holiness, and glory before you. Go fishing and be quiet and not be competitive about it like I struggle with. Right? I'm waiting for that picture to show the big fish I caught. You are not trying to catch fish or count steps, but count on catching a glimpse and message from the Lord. He's shaking out. Sometimes put some noise-canceling headphones. Put some music in that bad boy. Let me make clear, because we're going to get back to all of these divinas. This is not Eastern mysticism. Even though Christianity, wow, is an Eastern Asian-based religion, right? Oh, yeah, the Middle East is in what continent? Asia. Whoa, I always thought the Middle East was a continent. No. And this would translate well with Eastern cultures better than for us Westerners. We have some... Liabilities being Westerners. Did y'all hear me? It doesn't mean it can't be bridged. It doesn't mean God can't help us. But we have some liabilities. Right? Being Westerners. But it is allowed, right? But what we see happening here is God is allowed for those who are freed as believers to enter in with the Lord. If you're not a believer, let me, and I'm kind of just giving y'all warnings about this stuff, about Visio Divina, especially where you go look at nature and sit down and sit still. You know, one time Dr. Peacock was like, just go look at your dog for a little bit and think about what God has done. I'm out there, mm, digging. And Diggy's like, what? What's wrong with you? 
because I was thinking about, I don't know how God did it, but he, he worked through that creative moment to do it. If you're not a believer, let me warn you, you might cross over. The Bible says there's a good chance you're going to cross over into Eastern mysticism and pantheism and all that kind of stuff and begin to see the creation as more brilliant because you can't see the creator. So I'm not talking to just anybody just sitting around meditating, all right? Just want to give you all that warning. So let me tell you something. I'll get, again, I'm going to get to these spiritual tools and disciplines in another message, and so it will not happen quickly. I'm sorry. I'm a Westerner. Right? I am 100% American, right? Like, I like everything quick and easy, right? I want God to do what I want him to do to communicate the way I want him to communicate. He's been around a very long time, right? God is not from the West. He isn't, right? He ain't from the East either. He, he just is. And so it, it will, won't be easy for us. Get it done. Text, tweet, TikTok, Instagram. Hit me up real quick, culture. But meditation and biblical spiritual listening is like hearing the world shake with the holy beauty and wonder of our sovereign God. You know what I see? And this is what Isaiah was experiencing. The world is fretting and anxious and like was what was happening back then when Assyria is threatening to attack after the best king died. Our problems and issues and urgencies are moving with outward purpose. And our Lord is sitting on the throne of the world. And somehow we have to come to the place where we understand and know that's good enough. We'll get into God movement in, uh, later in the sermon because later in Isaiah, he actually does put on armor and go fight for God's people. We'll see that. But we get close to that kind of next level God, either close to his terrifying and sometimes I'm going to call it offensive silence. We become like the temple in Isaiah's vision. We get shook and filled with all kind of cloudiness. Look at verse 4 and 5 with me again. It says, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In prayer, not only is God a whole lot to deal with. I didn't even give him his due on this sermon. That's why we got to start over every week and just talk about who he is, right? Not only is he a whole lot to deal with, we recognize that we got a whole lot of stuff to deal with, right? We got a whole lot of baggage and stuff in the way and on us. And like Isaiah, we can and often do get stuck in shame and fear. Isaiah is saying here in this passage, you know what he's saying? I, I am silenced. I can't speak. He went in there to pray, but he came, he went in there to pray and ask God for help. And what happened? He clammed up. He says, I am done. I'm cut off. I'm shut up and shut down. I am not just done. I am undone. I am completely shook. I'm sad because this ain't going to work out. This ain't happening. 
Me and God, the whole prayer thing? Nuh-uh, it ain't happening. Me and God and the people I represent, they ain't gonna have no prayer life. Forget it, look at who he is, and now look at me. Because I, you know why? When he says unclean lips, he's saying, I didn't pray or praise God when I should have. And when I did speak to and about you, Lord, I, I'm, I'm kind of out of prayer practice. I, along with the rest of your people, we got scared that you weren't there. We misspoke about you. We said, look how great Assyria is. Look how scary the world is without going to you. We even tried to push and promote our own ways and convenience before coming to you. We paid lip service to you. And now my whole relationship with you is a mess. I didn't know God. How caught off and distant I was from you until I actually tried to come to you. I got some sobering news. <laughs> we are already relationship failures and spiritual failures before we start into our prayer lives. And it's near impossible to not fall into fear and shame and legalism I got to get up at five every morning. Uh-huh. Then you don't do it. What happens? Shame. <laughs> it cycles, right? I'm going to do it this week. Getting up at five to be with the Lord. Be sleeping. Shame. Guilt. Shut down. Like the temple in this passage, inside of us for believers, there is a shaking and shakiness that causes a, 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 let me call it smokiness and cloudy haziness in our hearts when it comes to seeing and knowing and feeling God rightly. It's okay for the world to know. When Christians go to pray, it gets cloudy. Sometimes it doesn't get more clear, right? Or clearer. I don't know which one it is, right? It, it doesn't always open up for us. Sometimes, like Isaiah, we feel shut out from what God is doing. That's the Christian life because we aren't dealing with another human, right? We aren't dealing with someone trying to appease us. We aren't dealing with the, the, customer, the customer service center at Amazon. We're dealing with the Lord, y'all. And so let me just let the world know and the rest of you believers know I'm with you. When I come in before a holy God to pray, oh my gosh, who knows what's going to happen? We don't and can't see what is going on or why all the time and where to go next clearly. And like Isaiah, we interpret that as this prayer thing is not working. Me and God, we ain't connecting. The last time I went to prayer with him, I fell asleep. The last time I went to pray, I ended up thinking about the game. Y'all ready? The last time I went and prayed, I started having all kind of sinful thoughts. I got all kind of shame. It's better for me not to pray or else, you know, I wouldn't be thinking about that girl or this or what or the woman across the street or whatever's going on in your mind. Or going and getting that drink, whatever. And this is what happens. We fear we are cut off from God. We feel rejected, shamed by God for even trying like he's saying, ha ha, you can't step to me too bad. I only take the holy people. I only take the prayer warriors. And you know what we do? I, I didn't write this. I tried to take this out so the sermon would be shorter. But I, I think... 
even especially for, for some people like me, right? We start to make categories and de de definitions for ourselves like this. You know what? I'm just more of a thinker, right? I, I'm just not the emotional kind of worshiper, right? Like, oh, you know what? I'm the type I can skip all that singing and praying. I just need to hear the sermon. I'm a Bible study guy. I did that for a long time, and it is not true. Right? You may be more intellectual, more, but God, when you come in contact with the Holy God, and again, it won't be easy. It's not a straight path. It doesn't happen tomorrow, right? He shakes that stuff. We fear we're being cut off, and we have a million reasons to believe that because if God is holy, 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 guess what we are? Messy, messy, messy. And the barrier's not easily bridged. Let me say that again. Shame, fear, guilt, and sin are powerful to keep your communication silent and distant and undone and struck down and irrelevant feeling. And, and I felt that coldness. Right? I preached. I preach, I read the Bible every week, right? I went to seminary, whatever, right? I'm the man of God, I'm the man of the cloth, all that kind of crap. And I'll tell you right now, when I went to start my prayer life, I felt cold. And a cloud was in there. I wanted a breakthrough. I thought, all right, I'm going to actually do this thing. I'm going to go to a pretty place, and I'm going to go out in the woods, and I'm going to start praying. Just came back tired and sweaty, it felt. I didn't even catch no fish. You know, uh, I, 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 let me tell you what happened. I, I had two sides to my journal, and I'm going to share more of this as we go. And, and from the front part of my journal, you know, you kind of write. Left to right, is that right? Yeah, left to right, because we Westerners, right? So that was like, God was good, and I saw his glory. Then I had, I went from the back to the front. The back to the front was the evil, profane stuff. Like, this was the stuff I could publish and share with you. This is the stuff I couldn't, right? This was the woe is me, I am undone part of my journal. And let me tell you, when the sabbatical started, that part outweighed by far the good part. God ain't with me. It ain't working. This is terrible. I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a prayer warrior. The devil's got me. Maybe God ain't true. Now, I mean, I, I'm not trying to say this is going to be you. The whole book might be that way, right? But now, this side's bigger than this side. And it isn't because there's less of this struggle. God taught me how to integrate the reality of being broken. Because let me tell you what I thought. I thought that, that, that get this, I thought God was dead to me to even question my faith that I believed needed, that, that I believe needed at the center of it. Hear me now. A faithful God and a faithful me. See, I believe a good prayer life meant a good God and a good me. 
a high-performance God and a high-spiritual-performing me, a successful God and a spiritually successful me, a holy God and a holy me, and that just caused shame. Now, I am not saying that being shook by a holy God is wrong. It's good. But we misinterpret the silence and the walls that we have put up in our brokenness and expectation as being ruined for prayer. So we stop. Now we got, again, we're going to get into it. I'm just giving part of it, little bite-sized pieces. I love the way one Bible scholar used said it. And I, I decided just to write it, read it, what he wrote or she wrote. I don't know who did it. But it says that Isaiah sees his situation as being so hopeless that he does not even bother to ask for cleansing or deliverance. But here he underestimates the grace of God. God has not given him this vision in order to annihilate him. It does not bring fire in order to destroy the offending lips. Rather, as would be true even for the rest of God's people, he brings these terrifying things into the prophet's life in order that having seen the truth of God in himself and having received gracious provision of cleansing fire, he might actually be delivered into his true calling and space before God. In other words, we might be stuck and cloudy and not know we, what we are to feel and experience, man. All this stuff about pray, pray with your wife, pray for your family. It's too difficult. You know, you should have devotion together as a family. Have y'all ever tried that? It, it worked, but I mean, it feels like you went through something. Like, after the devotion, you're like, Lord, please deliver us. <laughs> like watching church on TV at home. I know what y'all are going through. Hey, boys, you want to have devotion with dad? And they said yes plenty of times because I'm dad. Right? It's just, and it's so awkward and forced. Hey, boys, you want to have devotion with dad? All square. <laughs> Kelly, you want to come and pray? It's just. It's awkward, it's weird, it's corny. That's what it felt like. But like Isaiah, because he's bearing that corniness with his people. God didn't do this to keep us away or shame us, but to make a way for us. Look at verse 6 and 7. We're, we're going to close out pretty quickly here. Um, I'm in Luke. That ain't the passage we want. Um, so it says here, um, verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth, and behold, this has touched your lips, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned. Instead of making Isaiah feel and pay for his shameful ways and silence before God and fear that he wasn't good enough, he confirms as much, right? Yeah, you bad. But God is saying, I am good and gracious. 
And with this call, I take away your shame that makes you afraid and paralyzed to hear and sit and listen and talk and approach and speak with me, right? And this was not a personal thing. In doing so for Isaiah, God is deciding to do it for all of his people to make a way through the cloudiness, through the uncertainty, past their sin, past their shame, past the terrifying silence, past the failures and spending time with God, past the noise and ungodly history. God didn't just make a way to us. He made his way to us so that we can have life-shaking relationship with him, to trust and hear him, even as God lives in a holy haze. And how does God do this? You see the coals that were used to cauterize and purify the lips of Isaiah? The Bible says they were from the altar in the temple. From the burned remains, the sacrifice. God cleanses and purifies and opens our mouths and eyes and ears to him in prayer through the sacrifice of Jesus. I say this because if you and I are trying to come to him and maintain or start a prayer life without Jesus bridging the relational gap by walking into the smoke and haze and shakiness of the relationship between us and God, guess what? We would be on the outside of the divine relationship, stuck in only shame and guilt and silence and you trying to legalistically do it yourself. You know what the message of this is concerning prayer? The whole thing God let Jesus burn for our sins. God's holy, holy, holiness shook Jesus with the shame and death we deserve so that we would be shook, moved, and freed from sin, shame and apathy that kept us in our prayer lives in ruins before God. You know what happens in verse 8? The Bible says he hears the voice of the Lord. Isaiah went from seeking and peeking to hearing and speaking. And it is not a straight road back, y'all. Let me tell you, you read the book of Isaiah, you think chapter 6, woo, God's there, it's going to work. No, God tells them to preach a message and go back out there, a message that's actually going to confuse them. And make it harder before he shows them he has to rescue them. It's not going to be a straight shot. I'm telling you right now, in your prayer journey, I know that personally. It went real bad before it got better. We'll get to more of that later. This was a tough beginning for me on my sabbatical. I had such low expectations for the Lord, but praise him. He had high and holy expectations because of Jesus for me and him. You want a breakthrough? That term, oh my gosh, it's so dangerous and raggedy. You want a breakthrough today, right? You want a movement? You want a shookness in your apathetic, shameful, and absent prayer life? It must begin with remembering and recognizing that a next level God of a stuck people like you and me has and continues to make a way between you and him through what Jesus did. It's the first part. So I want you to 
do that? Maybe, you know, exercise. You know how you go to exercise. Um, I'm done. But I just want to give you an application, maybe something to start with. You know, when I went through spiritual direction, they would actually give you exercise. You know, like going through marriage counseling, they give you homework. Homework for a relationship? That's dumb, but it's not. It's good. Right? Maybe it's a good time just to sit and see God and the emotions and feelings you get. Reinterpret them as God sitting in his sovereignty and power right in the middle of your life. And he doesn't have to speak and he doesn't have to have nervous pacing energy like you because he's got this. And he's got you. And, you know, for me, it was writing. For you, it might be talking. Sometimes I'm talking and writing. But it's okay to write down, woe is me, I am ruined. Talk about how you're ruined. Write it down. Get a prayer journal. I can't believe I'm saying that. Oh, my gosh. Because I don't think it's right for every person. Because I'm not a journaling person. Until I realized I could write bad stuff in it. Then I liked it. Um, Sorry, <laughs> that's me. Um, but write bad if you have to. You know, if, if this was the rated R version in Isaiah, Isaiah would have used more colorful language when he came in contact with God and saw how messed up he was. Crud, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm ruined, right? You got your own words. Start there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you made a way. And we're standing here, as the song says, we're praying through, we're continuing only because you made a way through Christ. Oh, Lord, it's not a straight journey because we ain't straight. And Lord, we, you don't work. You don't necessarily Show us like Isaiah is cloudy. He, he can't even see you. The doors are moving. You don't want to move. It's no easy access to you, Lord. We don't always see what you're doing. We don't see all the time how you're working, but we know you are because you're sitting in your sovereignty. So please work in us. Work through us and draw us close to you. Convince those who are not believers that they are only engaging in Eastern mysticism. They're only engaging in a spirituality that can only go lead them back to their own goodness, their own ability to make it happen without Christ. Draw those who don't know you to you through Jesus so that they can begin to truly have a relationship with what they may describe as whatever other is out there. You are the only true and living God. Draw us to you. Draw them to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.